So we are in part three of a four-part series titled The Great Reset. And I got to say it because somebody asked me, we were talking about this on the worship team, and they said, Pastor Chip, are you into conspiracy theories? And I said, yes, I am. I love to read about them. And, and you know, if, if you are, you've already heard of this phrase, but this is a different reset. You know, this is how we can apply biblical principles to our lives when we're looking to get a fresh start, when we're looking to start over, when we're looking to make a change, when we're looking to reset certain areas of our lives. Maybe it's, maybe it's our marriage. You know, it's the beginning of a new year. Maybe we want to work on our marriage. You know, we're where we're, all this friction is getting old. We want to work on our parenting. We want to work on my relationships. I want to go a little bit deeper in my church family and join a life group. You know, and some of these things, they, they, they cause us to, to it's, it's a change, but sometimes we need to reset things in our lives for stuff to happen. And so last week, we talked about the struggles that all of us have when it comes to our thought process, right? We all have struggles. We have these battles that go on in our minds. We have, because this is where our intellect resides. And this is where the, I'm constantly doing the things that I don't want to do. How can I do the things that I want to do while I keep falling back into things I don't want to do? We looked at that in Romans chapter seven. And, 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 and that's something that we battle when we want to make a change for the better. And so today we're going to look at how we can break some of these habits that keep us from following through with a change. When we want to make a change for the better, when we want to make a change in our lives, when we want to reset some certain areas, how do we break some of these habits? How can we overcome that part of us that is resistant to change? Is anybody here resistant to change? Like, it's tough. Yeah, there's parts of us that, that uh, now, now, working with Pastor Dave for many, many years, change is good. You be ready for change. Now, I love change. I love new operating systems on my phone, my iPad, computers. I, I actually love getting into that stuff and just kind of figuring it out, right? But I'm also very systematic in my life. I'm very, I love routine. Well, as a pastor, you don't get to get used to routine because there's really nothing routine that happens throughout the week because you have people and you have stuff that you're dealing with, and it's exciting. But, but being routine and systematic can get you, I call that a weakness in my life because I have to force myself to say, all right, you know, we're making some changes in our children's ministry. We're making some changes in our youth ministry. And, and so these changes are for the better even though you might not see it. And let's say you start getting into this change and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he will help you redirect some things that maybe you thought you were gonna go this way, but now we gotta kinda tweak it a little bit. So how do we overcome those parts of us that are resistant to change? Why is it that we have a hard time in certain areas of our lives when it comes to breaking habits, when it comes to changing routines, when it comes to working on our weaknesses. Why are, there, why are these areas tough to face? And what does God say when it comes to a change? How does he help us overcome, bless you, 
How does he help us overcome these areas that we can't change? Because here's the thing. Change is not always comfortable. But it is an instrument that God will use to help us grow. See, even if life just hits you hard and something happened that you did not think was going to happen, or you're trying to implement something new in your life, it's change, and it is something that God will use to help you grow. If you didn't realize something was going to happen, you can, you can help, have God help you navigate through that. If it's something that you want to better for your life or for like uh, the children's ministry, you know, something in work or whatever, then God will help you navigate that growth, that change. And sometimes the tough areas about ourselves are hard to change because it's like an old friend. <laughs> it's something that we're comfortable with. You know, their, their habits and their patterns and their coping mechanisms that, that we've brought into our lives that we've gotten used to dealing with. And they become comfortable, but what they have actually become is self-defeating because we're used to it. And so I want to stay here. Oftentimes, people get comfortable in their dysfunction because it's the only way they know how to cope. And change often means accountability, and that's scary sometimes. And also, when we have these, these self-defeating thoughts and things like this, we then begin to identify with them. Like, I'm not very good in public settings. I'm too passive. I, I never say what I want to say. I'm too aggressive. I come on too strong. Nobody likes my ideas in a meeting because I'm too this. I ruin the friendship. I'm the one that ruins the friendship. I don't do well around other people. I'm afraid to join a life group because I've done that before. And so these are things that we speak into our lives that when we do it enough over the years, it becomes a part of who we are and therefore we say to ourselves, I can't change. I can't change in these areas because this is who I am. And this kind of ties into, if you missed last week's sermon, I would encourage you to go to our website and check it out because all of this kind of ties into last week's sermon and the previous one because it all starts with our thought process. Everything starts in our minds, right? God speaks to our hearts. Our mind is our intellect. It's, it's what we call our soul, but they're connected and the battles and the things that go on in our minds keep us from moving forward and where we want to move. And it's a common theme in this series, our thought process, because that's where it all starts, right? But it's also a common theme in all of the Apostle Paul's letters to the churches that he established. A verse that we should be familiar with by now in this series comes from Ephesians chapter 4 that says this. Let the Holy Spirit, let the Spirit, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Colossians chapter 3, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Romans chapter 12, 
Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what the will of God is for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect, something like that. But all of this is a renewal of who we are, a transformation of what goes on in here, our thought process. It's our new nature. The moment that we invite Jesus into our lives, we begin to become a new person. Sometimes it's, it's, it's right off the bat, and sometimes it's gradual. Like for me, it was gradual. I remember it was, it was a February, and then it wasn't until in October that I decided to come to a church, which was this church. But through those months, February through October, I started reading. These passages would jump out of my, off the pages and into my spirit. Renew your mind. Re- become a new person. Because what's the theme here? Put on your new nature. Create it to be like God. Put on your new nature as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Be imitators of God. See, we'll never be perfect like God is, but we have to do our best to be like him. In other words, what does his word say, and are we doing our best? And I think that's all he asks of us. And sometimes I think what we do is we have this new nature, and then we start going through life as a new person, a new believer in Jesus, and then we get comfortable because we're wearing, it's like this, it's like this, we're wearing this new suit, you know, ladies, maybe it's a dress, right? But for guys, we're wearing a new suit, and it's up to date. It's fashionable, right? But that old one in the closet has a lot of memories, and it's really comfortable, and I like the way it fits, even though it has a stain, and the elbow is a little torn. It's the suit I'm most comfortable with, because it's the suit that I have a lot of memories with. But Chip, it's out of style. And some of those memories aren't memories you should be holding on to. It's your old suit. Put on the new one. Keep it on by the renewing of your mind so that you can become like your creator. You can get to know God and how he works. And God, God never changes. He's the same today, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. But as, as human beings, we will never get to know God so well that we no longer have to change and will no longer have any more to learn about him. He is so big that we will always be able to learn more and more and more about him as our lives go on. And so it takes hard work to keep this new suit on. It takes determination to keep it on. We have to work at it. And Also, we have to allow the Holy Spirit in on the process of renewing our thoughts and attitudes so that we will be like our creator, imitating God in all the things that we do. And it's the only way to become the person we were created to be in Christ. See, before, if if, if you grew up in, in, a, in a Christian household and you never fell away, then, then you don't know what it's like to fall away and thank goodness for you. But, but when we fall away and then we become a new person in Jesus, now God is, is up there and he's saying, yes, now you become, now you are the person that I created you to be. Let's start doing life together because I have had plans for you now. Let's get moving. And the only way to be the change that we are wanting to be 
is to face the truth about ourselves and learn what the truth is about ourselves. And what's that saying about the truth? The truth hurts. The truth often is something that we don't want to know about ourselves because we know more about ourselves than anybody else around us. But listen to this proverb in chapter 23. Get the truth and never sell it. Also, get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. And this I teach from the New Living Translation. So if you have New King James or NIV or something, I might read a little bit different. Get the truth. Learn the truth. Don't give it away. Don't sell it. Don't reject it. Don't trade it for a lie. And also, get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. And I think all of us sitting here could say to ourselves, that is great advice. But how many of us follow through with that? You know, I have people in my life that, that I allow to speak into my life that, that I believe is, is good judgment and wisdom and even discipline. And it's truthful stuff that it's critiquing of what I do that if I'm not willing to face some of that, then I'll never advance or move or better myself to be the person God created me to be. And I also know there's a few people who if I, I'm looking for the answer that I want to hear, I will go to them. But that's not going to help, is it? We, we all know who's going to tell us what we want to hear, but find somebody who will challenge you. And you know where this can be found at? Thomas, a life group. <laughs> I think Thomas got into my notes here. A life group. Because people will challenge you in a life group. Life groups bring like-minded people into our lives. And, and at this church, we have all kinds of different life groups. Like, for instance, all right, Thomas and Alethea, their life group, I'm a little... I, am, I, have to, I have to watch my, my covetousness, my, my jealousies, my envies. Because Thomas will text me pictures of their life group doing life together. Like I think top golf and cookouts. And, and he sends me pictures and he's like, is your life doing, group doing this? And I'm like, can't compete with that. But you know what it does though? They usually hit me at the oddest moments and it makes me happy. Makes me happy to know that there's a couple in this church that is devoted to doing life together with a group of people. And we, have, we have, on opposite Saturdays, on Saturday mornings, we have a, a ladies' um, arts and crafts, and then another Saturday, a crochet group. So those are groups that are, that are like, we have an interest. And, and if, I've never, I haven't been to one, but I suspect they're coming together and they're doing a hobby that they all enjoy doing. And in that, there might be some discussion or there might be some prayer. See, that's doing life together. Our life group is like a, like a Bible study. It's, it's very studious. It's, it's, you know, it's like we learn the word. No. But it's like a Bible study. But we have conversations. We get to know each other. We have prayer requests. We, we talk about our struggles. We open up with each other. 
And that's where you can challenge one another. You can receive prayer from one another. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but you'll see later on in the sermon what I'm talking about with this. We have other groups that meet all throughout the week here, men's groups, women's groups, community groups, which is, you know, anybody can join. That's the heartbeat of a healthy church. And the secret to being the change we want to be is learning and facing the truth about ourselves. That, that is, if you're not, if, you're, if the changes that you're wanting to see in your life are not happening, ask yourself, are you, are, you fa- are, you, are you willing to learn and face the truths about yourself that maybe you don't want to face? And there's a, there's a famous passage in John chapter 8 where Jesus says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Most non-believers know that part, right? The truth will set you free. Well, in the context of that verse, Jesus is, is verbally duking it out with the religious leaders. They don't like what he's saying, and he, he, because he's telling them, basically, I am the son of God, and they're really upset with this, and he tells them, your father is the devil. He, he, he didn't mince words with them in John chapter 8, but then, he, but then I picture it like this. He's talking to the religious leaders, and crowds are starting to gather because there's this verbal showdown happening, but it says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, So he's facing the religious leaders, and then he says really loud to everybody else who believes him, you are truly my disciples if you follow my teachings, if you're faithful to my teachings, and then you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, Jesus is talking about the truth of who he is, right? Well, sometimes before we're willing to actually face the truth about ourselves, we need to learn the truth about who Jesus is. Because he is the one that will gently and lovingly and, and, and patiently nudge us and push us and challenge us into facing the truths about ourselves. So sometimes we need to learn the truth about him first before we can get where we want to be in life. And no matter how hard it is to face, eventually the truth does bring freedom. It might be really tough at first. But see, the thing is, what is the opposite of the truth? It's a lie. And lies are binding. Self-defeating thoughts and, 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 and like, like we call them, uh, uh, like sometimes we call them, those are, those are self-fulfilling prophecies. I'll always de- de- be, be depressed. I'll always be in this poverty. I'll always be here, oppressed. I'll always be no good at meetings. I'll always be this. We, we speak these things over ourselves, and they're self-defeating, but we begin to believe them, and we begin to believe the lie that it is, and then it is binding because we no longer have any truth that's getting into our spirits because the truth brings freedom. And all throughout the scriptures, we can find passages on the truth. Just Google Bible verses on truth. And then do what I do. I look for the website called Bible Hub. I pull it up, and it gives you every verse that has the word truth in it. It's it's fascinating. And then you can go and you can study the commentaries in there. God's truth, the biblical truth, anything outside of God's truth is a lie. It all starts with the word of God. 
Behind every self-defeating thought is a lie that we are believing about ourselves. And this is why the first requirement to a reset in life is to learn the truth and have the strength to face the truth in all areas of our lives, especially about ourselves. And the undisputed truth can always be found in the scriptures. So we're going to read a passage here from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Do I need to add anything to that? That's pretty straightforward. See, one of the things about this passage is that tells me is that the Bible is our manual for a reset, for a fresh start. It's our manual. All scripture, this entire book from beginning to end, is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Why can't I get to where I want to be in life? Well, start reading the scriptures. Sooner or later, something will pop up. And and when I say read the scriptures, I don't mean just, you know what? I want to see if Nehemiah will teach me how to overcome this, right? Just start reading it. Start in the Gospels or start in, in the book of Genesis. Start, start somewhere and then just start reading it. Proverbs has every single thing about life's lessons that you could learn. And then just start reading it from beginning to end. We have out in the foyer our Bible reading schedules. We put them out every January. I encourage you to pick one up and just start reading it. Because the Bible will teach us what needs corrected in our lives, what needs redirected, what needs tweaked, what do we need to do to kind of change and and move in a direction where we will get where we want to be. And it doesn't just teach us the truth and point out what is wrong. Nobody wants to hear what's wrong about themselves, right? But there's no better place to find what needs corrected than the Word of God. Because it corrects us what's wrong, and teaches us what the right thing to do is. In other words, when we're off the path meant for us, it gets us back on track with God and back on the path that he had paved for us long before we were conceived. See, long before we were conceived, God had plans for each one of us. And if we fell away from him or we never lived in a household where we grew up in the church and we knew Jesus, when we came to him, when we first come to him, those plans begin to come to life and God says, now the plans I had for you long ago can start to be put into action. And then Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. A lot of us are stumbling around in otherwise a dark world because we're not using God's word to the path that God paid for us. How are we following that path? I can't figure out what God wants me to do. Are you reading the Bible? 
Well, I don't have time for that. Well, then you're never going to figure it out because God's word is a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. We have any campers here, any hikers here? You don't go hiking or camping without a flashlight, right? Because it's what guides you and leads you. And God uses his word to prepare and equip us to do the plans that he has set out for us to do. Every good work that he has for us to do, we'll find it in his word. How about this one? Hebrews chapter 4. Let's go a little deeper. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Whew. But listen, the word of God, so, so nowadays we would say uh, sharper than a razor blade. Right, Cutting between soul and spirit. Cutting between our intellect and our heart. Cutting between joint and marrow. We are a three-part being, right? Mind, body, and spirit. The word of God will cut through all of that and teach us what to do. Because we can fool the people around us. We can even fool ourselves. But this passage tells me nothing in all creation is hidden from God. So why would we try to fool him? Why would we try to say, you know what, God, you can, you can have all of this of me, but I, I, I don't want you to know about that. Well, big, I got a surprise for you. He knows. So let's just deal with it and move on. He, because you know what? I see a lot of, 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 of things on social media and stuff like we need to bring back the fire and brimstone like, like God gets angry with people and stuff like that. And, and, and yeah, God gets angry. But you know what? He's a loving father. So those of us that are fathers in this room, we might get upset with our children, but do we, do we hate them? Do we, do we hold stuff against them? No, we discipline them like a loving father so that we can bring them along with us again. It's what we do. That's what a loving father does. So the words in this book, they're alive. And they reveal to us who we really are about ourselves. And if we're open to that, we'll be more willing to allow the changes to take place, to, to allow things. So here's what it is. It's a mirror. When you're reading the Bible, you are, you are looking at yourself in a mirror you are exposing more of yourself to yourself. The Bible is exposing more of yourself to yourself. And if you're unwilling to say, oh my goodness, that is me. If you're unwilling to do that, you're never, the change you're willing that you want to make in your life is never going to happen. And then you, you could either take a marker and blacken out that verse or just rip the whole page out because you're not willing to allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then here's the thing. It shows us what is wrong and how to correct it. See, it doesn't just point out what's wrong. It shows us also how to correct it. It teaches us the truth and what to do with that truth. And 
It prepares us for everything that God had planned for us to do long before we were born. Everything is in there for us. It's the very thing we need to look at when we are wanting to be the change we want to be. It helps us fight that part of us that is resistant to change and advance in an area of life that we're looking to do better at and to be better at. Now, here's a saying worth writing down. All right, it's up on the screen. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. See? You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So if you think you're always going to be depressed, if you think you don't do very well in public settings, if you think you're the one that always ruins the relationships, well, then you are. But you're not that person. Because if you allow this word to, to, to cut through your soul, your spirit, your physical being, and to teach you who, to be, who, the, who God created you to be, you'll never be the person that you've spoken yourself into being. Remember, it all starts with our thoughts. And we will never be in a position to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our thoughts and attitudes if we are not reading the Bible on a regular basis and allowing it to challenge the truth to who we think we really are. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. Now, I was trying to find a another verse that didn't start out was stop telling lies and then I thought well I just don't have to put that in there because you know because we're not liars I mean most of us go around lying but here's the deal if you do a word study on this if you study this passage Paul was writing this to the church in Ephesus and Ephesus was a major hub exporting exporting and importing and there were a lot of pagan temples and a lot of wicked stuff taking place there and in the ancient pagan world it wasn't, uh, uh, it, it wasn't uncommon for somebody's word to be worthless. You couldn't, count, you couldn't hold somebody at their word because their word didn't mean anything. Honesty wasn't something that was a part of the culture in the pagan world back then. And, so, and Paul says this in a number of his, of his letters. Stop telling lies. Stop being this. Stop the coarse talking. What he's saying is he's trying to set a new standard with the people who are becoming believers in Jesus. Listen, be honest with people around you because you are a new person now. You belong to Jesus. You have a church family that you belong to now. Us in this church, we are a family. We are neighbors. We are brothers and sisters. And there is to be no deceit amongst us or between us. That's what Paul is trying to get at there. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. You know, when we're, when we're looking for, for a reset, when fighting these, these self-defeating thoughts of, of resistance, we need to be honest with those who are trying to help us in the change. 
You see, the moment, here's the deal, here's why. The moment we let someone in on our struggles, there's relief. You ever have something that you're dealing with and you're just like, this is killing me, I can't do it any longer, and you meet with somebody and it's just, it's relief. You just feel better about it. You, you might not have gotten any of the advice you wanted, but you just, you're right, you got it off your chest. I, I got it out. I feel better. You want to know why I think that is? Because what was once concealed is now revealed, and now there is life brought into your situation. See, when I, when I meet with somebody, when somebody wants to meet with me, and then they talk to me about stuff or things they're struggling with, this is what I say. If it's in my office, there's a little coffee table there. I say, listen, what was now once in the dark is now in the light. And you and I are going to work this out. It's sitting on the table right now. And darkness cannot reside where the light is. And God's Holy Spirit is now involved in this. And we're going to turn this thing around and you're going to be a better person. And then often what I do is, especially with young people, is I say, hey, listen, you got my number. You need some prayer. I don't even need to know what it is. If it's pertaining to this, I won't just assume it. You just text me and say, hey, I need some prayer. I'll stop what I'm doing and I will pray for whatever it is that you are asking prayer for. I don't need to know. But I'll tell you what you have. You have somebody in the body of Christ in this church family that will be praying for you when you need it. Because what we struggle with by ourselves, which I consider to be in the dark, will always grow and grow and grow. And once we bring it into the light, it diminishes. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. This is what we refer to as a one another verse. I think there's uh, like 58 of them. Um, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, listen to one another, bear one another's burdens. They're, they're, they're all throughout the New Testament in Paul's letters. The only way for a believer in Jesus to grow is through community. And community can be found where? Life groups. That's community. This is a community here on Sunday mornings, but this is what we call going wide. Life groups is going deep. You know, when, when people in our life group, when we have, we have, we have kind of a um, systematics, so we have a system, we open up with prayer, we do a teaching, we, then we go deeper in prayer, prayer requests, conversation starts. When there's prayer requests in our life group, it gives me something to pray for because there's people in our midst that are struggling and if they're willing to say, I'm struggling in this area, I think that's a big deal. And, and I know for me, I'm going to pray for that person. Because none of us want to be struggling, right? And if you've got the courage to reveal what you're struggling with in front of a small group of people, that tells me one of two things. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I need some help. And I need to bring some other people in on this with me. And that's what life groups are all about. That's what community is all about. See, when we try to be the change on our own, we'll only get so far because we need kingdom-minded people in our lives to coach us, to mentor us, to cheer us on, to pray for us when we're doing life, right? So what happens throughout the week? We're all at work, doing our jobs, living our lives. We're not with our church family and we feel sometimes alone. So wouldn't it be nice to have somebody in your life that, hey, you know what? 
they said to just text him and I need prayer. I need some prayer. Hey, I need some prayer. But God, I'm praying for you. Wouldn't that be nice? Because not all of us have that kind of a relationship. But that's the kind of relationship that we should all have in the body of Christ as a church family. Listen, here's some of these names you'll recognize, some not. Joshua had Moses. Elisha had Elijah. Solomon had David. David had Samuel. The disciples had Jesus. And Timothy had Paul. These are like what I would call Hall of Famers in the Bible. They had somebody in their lives mentoring them, coaching them, praying for them, writing letters to them, cheering them on. That's an example that we need to look at for our own lives. We need to be willing to bring somebody into our life that will challenge us and teach us and help us and coach us on. Imagine, imagine being in a life group. I'm going I'm to read one more passage. Imagine being in a life group or, or having spiritual mentors in your life. And this verse right here was a part of the common theme of your relationship. Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 9. And so this is uh, the Apostle Paul, and there's a guy, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'll try it, Epaphras. <laughs> I don't know. You know, why is it that everybody's name is weird except for the disciples? <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Epaphras. And <laughs> I don't know. But listen to this. So Epaphras was reporting back to Paul about the church in Colossus, and Paul writes in his letter, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Imagine having somebody or some people in your lives that that was a common theme of your relationship. Would you not just feel good? Would you not challenge yourself to do better as well? Like when those old thoughts creep in, those old habits creep in, would you not say to yourself, you know what, not, I'm not going down that road. I want to do better and better as I get to know God's will for my life. See, I equate this passage to those who speak into my life. And it gives me hope that I know that I have people. You know, decisions that I make, the vineyard, is, the vineyard has gotten so much better in, in what we call uh, pastoral care. We have an area leader. We actually have a couple area leaders, and I meet with them uh, Zoom meetings once a month. We have this Wednesday, we'll have an area leaders meeting here at this church. We'll all get together. I don't even care what the topic of discussion is. It's that camaraderie. It's the worship and the prayer we do at the end. It's the fact that I have pastors in the vineyard that when I'm struggling with something, I can say, hey, what do you think about this? How would you do this? And, and you know what's even best is they don't know who I'm talking about, so they just give me the advice of a pastor. And it helps. There's, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, whatever. It's neutral advice that helps. It's, it's a team effort. And it's, it's this verse right here. And it gives me hope to be the person that I was created to be to walk out the plans that God has for me. And it gives me hope for whenever I need to make a reset in life or to, to I want to change some things. So, so in closing, you know, being the change, being the change that we're seeking to be requires us to face some truths about ourselves. It requires us to think in new ways on how to move forward with a change, with a reset. 
And it requires us to be involved in kingdom-focused community. Community that brings people into our lives that will challenge, coach, and mentor us through these tough changes that we're trying to go through. And then finally, lasting change requires the Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus, we need the power of God's Holy Spirit to help us make these changes, to challenge us in what needs corrected and where we're doing good and and to, to direct and redirect and to tweak and to just challenge us so that we can be the people we were created to be. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. See, it is this life we receive from the Holy Spirit that gives us the drive to be the change we want to be. And it is the Holy Spirit who will orchestrate the change by way of other people and coaches and mentors and spiritual leaders and personal conviction. Because we need the cheering on of others to keep us motivated in setting the goals so that we can be the change we want to be. Amen? Let's pray. And you know what? So our worship team this morning is small, but we are mighty. So so I really look forward to this time of worship we're gonna gonna move into here. So, So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for how challenging you are with us, God, that, that, that your word cuts through everything. That when allowing you to speak to us in an undivided way, everything about us that we don't like about ourselves is exposed in a good way, in a loving way, in a way that we have a Father in heaven that wants to see us be the best version of who we are and I love that about him nothing I I believe this church I I don't know who this speaks to nothing hurts God's heart more than when he sees us struggling in life and I believe that as we head into a time of worship pour your hearts out to him pour your hearts out to him and I believe he will speak to you And maybe even as we head into a time of ministry, things will happen. And I just want to bless what God's Holy Spirit plans on doing while we move into a time of worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.